Now, more of Rick Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. Jeff Patterson, TSN 1040's Canucks reporter, going to join us in just a moment. We're, we're actually debating right now because we did ask you guys for a mailbag today, and we appreciate all the questions you guys have sent in. We're going to dive into those uh, in the second hour of the show. But we had a great one today, and we were asked who of the 1040 you know, staff would be characters in the wire and we were trying to figure out who jeff patterson's is so let's bring jeff in because this falls completely on its face if he has never watched the wire so jeff have you ever watched the wire never watched the wire okay we're done with it we'll talk about it on the other hour on the other side though i have a couple of characters who i think jeff could be but it's not going to make any sense for jpat because he doesn't know anyway so we'll discuss well, Heck my, of a start to the segment, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, my, we, we, my, we, we, my favorite J-Pat character is the one that was on <laughs> Stanch's podcast. Which one? What? The Wyatt. He put out the podcast with yeah. J-Pat about baking. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, that was my I favorite. I heard about this. What, what, what is this all about? Is, are you guys are you starting a, a cooking show or something like that? I think JD can probably handle this question better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the impression, J-Pat? I've been shy about un- unholstering that one, but now that it's out there. It needs there, work. It needs work. It could work. be better. It could be better. Totally needs work. Oh, it's one of JD's hidden talents. I don't think people realize this. I mean, he's got so many. Yeah. Uh, I, read the, I read about them on Twitter all the time. <laughs> um, but he's got an arsenal of impressions that he does sometime. Uh, you know, if things get really thin, if they're not there already in the <laughs> hockey world, uh, he may be able to devote a segment to, uh, you know, his impressions of the entire uh, sort of veteran Vancouver media scene, uh, the sports scene uh, here in town. There you go. We've got a segment idea. There we go. We'll put that I, one I in should the, call in, in and pockets. do guest spots yeah, as, as media members. Uh, Jeff, you had a chance to talk to Sven Berchi, uh this week, and uh, one of the quotes that uh, stuck out, if, of course, is, I don't want to be back in the minors, is what he told you. And uh, Well, I mean, I've asked uh, John this, and I asked JD this as well. Is it just his contract that kept him in the minors? Is he an NHL player still? I think there's one more... NHL act left in Sven Berchi. I don't know where it's going to come or when it's going to come. I don't think it'll be in Vancouver. But I do think that he's uh, a middle six forward uh, on some teams. One of the quotes that jumped out at me was, you know, I can play for any team in the National Hockey League. Uh, some of the teams may think else uh, otherwise. But, you know, I understand self-confidence. You kind of have to have that mentality as a pro athlete. Some of it's bravado, I suppose. But, you know, he has been damaged goods for the last couple of seasons. He's only played 32 NHL games over the last two seasons, was limited to 26 with the concussion and the post-concussion syndromes uh, back in 2018-2019. And then, of course, uh, last year doesn't make the team out of camp, gets put on waivers, sent down, and got recalled for six games in early November when Michael Furland was injured, Brandon Sutter, Tyler Mott. All of a sudden, the Canucks uh, were short on forwards, and so they turned to the minors, and they brought Berchi up, and he got into six games. He had a couple of assists. He didn't score, and, you know, I asked him about his time, and and he admitted that, you know, he's a guy that had to have a bottom line, and he didn't. Um, And so he was a little frustrated there. And if you guys recall, like, his final game came in Dallas, a 6-1 disaster for the Canucks at the start of a six-game road trip, and it had nothing to do with his offense, but there was a play when Tyler Fadun, of all people, uh, the Dallas Stars defenseman jumped Berchi, 
to a loose puck and scored. And look, if Sam Berchie's not going to contribute offensively and he's already on a short leash, you know, he, he just he can't have defensive lapses like that. And that sort of sealed his fate, and that was it. He was sent back to Utica and never seen again at the National Hockey League level. So, you know, first and foremost, he's healthy. And I think he proved that. He played uh, almost all the games that were available to him in the American Hockey League this year. He missed a little bit of time with a, a high ankle sprain. But as far as the head injuries, you know, I think he proved to himself and to the hockey world in general that, you know, he was able to suit up on a nightly basis and play and contribute. And he had a decent offensive season, 46 points in 43 games. But, you know, he didn't lead the Comets in scoring. In fact, uh, he was fourth on that team. So Reed Boucher, Nikolai Goldobin, even Justin Bailey outproduced him at the American Hockey League level. And, uh, you know, so there was some production, but it wasn't like he lit the AHL on fire. He's going to be 28 whenever next season rolls around. So, you know, it is sort of uh, in the next little while here it has to happen for him. Uh, but the $3.4 million bucks at the NHL level, I think, uh, is off-putting for most teams. And, you know, it comes down to the question of, you know, will the Canucks be willing to eat some of that salary to make a move? And should they, you know, or do they bury it and get the cost savings there and just ride out one more year with this guy as an insurance policy, I suppose, if, in fact, they run into more injury problems? But, you know, I wonder about the Canucks and where they are. Uh, you know, if they're eating salary on a guy like Berchi, and bearing, or bearing even, uh, you know, they've got Ryan Spooner's buyout still on the books. They've got the Luongo recapture. They've got bonus overages. And this is a team that needs every dollar available to it to try to improve what they've got right here, right now. So, you know, you can't be throwing a ton of money away. And you wonder about a sweetener as well. If You know, is that what it would take, whether it's uh, retaining salary or attaching something uh, to move the Sven Berchi contract? So really curious to see where it goes. Uh, I mean, I... I you know, I had somebody suggest that maybe he has to survive one more year in the minors, be an unrestricted free agent at this time next year, and you know, maybe an expand, expansion Seattle. Like maybe they would take a look at a guy that has a bit of a track record at the NHL level of producing offense. So uh, who knows where it goes? But I just don't get the sense that we're going to see him back in a Canucks uniform again. Would the leash have been a little bit longer, perhaps, with a a different coach? Is it, was it just Travis Green being like, "All right, I'm done with this guy. I can't. I, I got. We got to move on." Yeah, I mean, look, they've got a long history that goes back to their time together in Portland in the Western Hockey League, and, you know, Travis spoke of that at, at length, and so I think he had felt in his mind he had given San Berti a number of chances, but, you know, just organizationally, they seemed like they had shifted when they went out and they acquired J.T. Miller, and then they signed Michael Furland, and we know that the coach uh, likes Josh Levo when he's healthy and available to him, and you know, there's sort of that similarity in those three guys. They're all bigger, play a different style than Sven Berchi does, and it seems like the Canucks wanted to go in that direction. And you remember the quote from Jim Benning talking about heavy skill, and, uh, you know, that's not how uh, many people would describe Sven Berchi in the way that he plays. So, you know, was it a – like, I didn't ever get the sense that it was personal between the coach and the player, but just the philosophy of the coaching staff and the organization uh, looked like they had shifted and in some ways left Sven Berchi – uh, in the dirt. Now, he had the quote to me as well that he didn't feel uh, or he felt that the organization didn't believe he was ever going to recover and return to the NHL, you know, after those concussions. And I thought that was telling as well. And so, you know, from that, I think he returned to the lineup late that season, got in a couple of games that, you know, probably just put his mind at ease that, hey, I am back in the NHL, I can play. He had the offseason, the Canucks made the changes that I mentioned. 
And then it's sort of reading between the lines. He didn't come right out and say it, but I, I got the sense that he didn't feel he got uh, a fair chance necessarily or a fair shake at camp and in the preseason last year that the Canucks had kind of made up their mind already on the you know the wing positions in the top six, and he didn't fit into the mold that they had there. So you know he came to camp, he played in the preseason, he felt that he had done all right there, but you know I think he felt that he was always kind of destined to be the odd man out, and ultimately that is what happened to start the season. Talking to Jeff Patterson, TSN 1040's Canucks reporter. Jeff, do you think there's any way for Canucks fans to reconcile the way that the organization has handled uh, Sven Berchi's litany of concussions with the recent addition of Michael Furland in free agency and the continued chances and opportunities that they tried to thrust onto his plate this season as a means of getting him back into the lineup recovering from concussions? Because looking at this objectively, it's hard to reconcile that Sven Berchi's concussions were disqualifying as it relates to an NHL career, but Michael Furlan's concussions, playing a much more aggressive brand of hockey, warranted a four-year contract in free agency. Do you think that there's a way for people to make sense of that, to square that circle? Probably not. I mean, I, I think you, you, know, you lay it out there pretty clearly that, you know, and it's not like they inherited Sven Berchi and they felt that they just had to you know, deal with him. I mean, this was a guy that they went out and they acquired. So, you know, he was one of their guys, just as Michael Furland was, uh, you know, the, the acquisition was different, obviously, in that Furland was an unrestricted free agent. But, uh, you know, there were red flags. I think people wondered uh, about the signing of Furland at the time. And sure enough, uh, basically a lost season for him. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, to me, J.D., when you look at Sven Berchi, um and I think people forget, like, this is a guy that had 14 goals in 53 games um, the season before he signed his contract, and 18 goals in 68 games as well. Both of those put him on pace to score 20-plus in the National Hockey League. And so when he signed the three-year $10 million ticket, like, it seemed like it was maybe a little on the high side, but at the same time, like, it didn't seem like it was completely out of the realm of possibility that Sven Berti was going to be a 20-25 to goal scorer for the Canucks for you know, the the length of that three-year deal. And ultimately, now two of the years are in the books, and it just it hasn't happened for him. So um, it is interesting to sort of see the way that he was, I don't know if discarded is the right word to use, but, I mean, that's probably the way that he feels about things. And so, you know, I've had some people suggest to me, like, what if? What if they can't sign Tyler Toffoli as an unrestricted free agent? Like, would they double back, and would they look at Sven Berchi, you know, as an option in the in the top six? But... It comes back to your point. They've got Furland, who we're told is going to be healthy and ready to go whenever next season rolls around. Don't know about the fate of Josh Levo, but uh, again, I think uh, within the organization, they acquired him, and you know, I don't think that they feel they've seen the best of him yet, so I think they're going to take a run at trying to retain Josh Levo. It's just a question of uh, is there enough money to go around, and you know, when I look at that right there, uh, you know, you're running out of spots in your top six because I think there are guys that are certainly still ahead of Sven Berchi in the organization's mind. And that's why I come back to my conclusion is that he's not going to get a chance to play for the Canucks again unless something really remarkable happens in terms of uh, the injury bug. But I do think that there is a team out there somehow, some way, whether it's uh, with help from the Canucks this year or as an unrestricted free agent a year from now, you know, that would take a, a bit of a flyer on Sven Berchi and hope that they find some value in a guy that's basically been out of the National Hockey League now for a couple of seasons. Now, shifting gears off of the ice, and this is a topic that I think we're almost at its expiration date. Almost. But, I mean, you're a part of the Canucks commentariat. I want to hear your take. What are you getting from the organization's stance on 
uh, Judd Brackett, some of what we're seeing in the media right now play out. I mean, you've you've been around a while, and I, I'm sure you haven't seen many situations like this in Vancouver's past. And really curious to get your your perspective on this one. Yeah, well, we're not getting much from the organization, that's for sure, and uh, they've sort of circled the wagons on that one. Um, you know, it, it just it feels to me like, as has been reported, that uh, it's water under the bridge. Like, I just don't see that there's any way that these two sides can patch up their differences. And, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, the proof is in the pudding that the last couple of years, the scouting department has been one of the strengths of the Vancouver Canucks. And so, you know, this is where I come back to leadership and management and upper management, even to ownership. If you've got something that's working for you, like, where is somebody to step in here and behind closed doors try to get to the bottom of it? Where are the differences? You know, are they irreconcilable? Um, but it certainly feels that way. And so, uh, you know, I said on the air the other day that, you know, they are taking a bit of a pounding in the court of public opinion, and there hasn't been much, if any, pushback from the organization. And if they felt that the stories that are out there about the way that it's been handled and the way that uh, Judd Brackett has sort of been ostracized, if you will, you know, if they felt that that was misinformation, that I thought maybe somebody would come out and try to set the record straight, but... You know, really, it's been silenced there, and and that's sort of the standard operating procedure, right? Like, I, I read the other day that Brad Tree Living in Calgary is doing a weekly conference call with the media uh, just to keep them sort of up to speed on the organization and all that's going on uh, with the Flames through this COVID period. You know, Jim Benning was made available to the media when the Canucks signed uh, Will Lockwood way back when, and again, when they announced the signing of Nils Hoaglander. But those are the only two times that uh, we in the media have, you know, had broad access to the general manager of this hockey club. And they've both be- been because of signings. Uh, there just hasn't been this opportunity to to get to him. And I know when I asked about Judd Brackett, and it was the day that they signed Hoaglander, you know, I put the question to Jim. And he just said, look, uh, Judd's still with us for now. Uh, I think that tells you all you really need to know, that in the eyes of the general manager, that there was a condition on, you know, his stay in the organization. And he said, it's for now. So, it's unfortunate. Uh, I think from the outside, from the fans' perspective, you know, they just want something that's been working, right? And the scouting department has produced uh, players with the high picks, as we know, but also had success deeper in the draft. And uh, not that that can't continue, but it just it, it sort of, I think, feels needless that this has to go the way it's gone and it's going to lead to this divorce when, uh, you know, I think that people look at, some of the decisions that have been made from the top end of this hockey club when it comes to whether it's free agency or trades, and those are different departments I get, but all of a sudden, if you're going to squeeze people out and the decision, the decision makers at the top remain the same, you know, then I think it comes down to consumer confidence. And uh, if you're the ownership of the Vancouver Canucks, these are extraordinary times. We know that, that uh, you know they're going to have tickets to sell and try to get people fired up and excited about this uh, group again once uh, they hit the ice and i certainly would be leery if i was the ownership of the vancouver canucks that uh, you know you want to keep your fan base happy and one scout isn't going to make it or break it look trevor linden the most one of the most important figures in 50 years of canucks hockey and certainly one of the most popular uh he got ousted and this team survived and continued to play on you know and and so this team will move on past judd brackett as well but you just wonder uh, as these stories sort of bubble to the surface, what else is happening behind the scenes 
in the offices at Rogers Arena, and that's where it comes back, for me at least, it comes back to consumer confidence in this hockey club and the way that it's managed. Speaking of consumer confidence, uh, Hub City and Vancouver being floated about as a Hub City still, and Premier Horgan on the station yesterday saying, and I quote, it would be good for the soul of British Columbians, but also suggested that it would just be a blip in terms of uh, what it would do for the economy here. Are you surprised that Francesco Aquilini has not come out and said why the Canucks are doing this, why they are a part of this proposal? No, not for a second. Francesco Aquilini doesn't have a public uh, profile. I mean, we've known that uh, in his ownership time uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. But they do have people like Trent Carroll, who is the you know, COO of this organization, and he's one of the public-facing voices and certainly at the top of the chain on the business side. And I don't think the Canucks have done a particularly good job of you know, helping build his profile and get him out there so that he's a name and a face that people not just know, but, but they can trust. And so, uh, you know, I've covered this team for decades and certainly have been here as long as the Aquilinis have been the majority owners. Uh, Francesco Aquilini just doesn't like speaking publicly. And I, I, look, I don't need Mark Cuban. I don't need Jerry Jones. But with one phone call, we were able to get the owner of the Dallas Stars on the radio station yesterday. So, you know, it can happen. It does happen. And I think from time to time, uh, a couple of times a season perhaps, you know, it would be in Francesco Aquilini's best interest to speak publicly, but, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, on the regular because I do think he has people in his employ that certainly can speak for him and for the organization, and that's where a guy like Trent Carroll comes into this equation because, you know, I think he's sort of the guy that's been the go-between between the National Hockey League and the province and trying to put this Canucks uh, bubble bid together. So, you know, I'd like to hear from him at the very least. I'd like to know the size and the scope of this. We keep hearing, you know, sort of conflicting reports. The Premier will come out and talk about all these Western Hockey League centers around British Columbia that he thinks are capable of hosting. And then Tom Gillardi yesterday shot that down in a hurry as an NHL owner said, no way. And this is the guy that owns the Kamloops Blazers as well. So he understands the, you know, inner workings of the Western Hockey League and junior hockey rinks in general. And so, you know, yeah, I'd like to see some of the misinformation cleaned up, but I'd like to know uh, this Canucks proposal. Uh, you know, how far afield? Does it involve Abbotsford and Langley? Is it the Pacific Coliseum? Is it UBC? Like, which buildings are involved? And, you know, there are some other questions as well that I certainly would uh, like to know. And, uh, you know, I've put some questions and put some feelers out, but, uh, you know, we just, we're not getting a whole lot from the organization and, uh, the other part too is like the premier seems a little drunk right now on sports. Like I'm not quite sure he's got this pandemic to worry about in the province, and yet appearing on sports radio multiple times. He was tweeting to Don Taylor yesterday, so not quite sure what's going on with the premier uh, right here right now. But uh, he's made it pretty clear that uh, he wants the province of British Columbia uh, to play a central role in the return to the ice of the National Hockey League. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no World Cup, but. Uh... Global pandemic, giddy up. Bring the NHL here. Hmm. Interesting. All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. I think this was your first hit this season on Rinkwide, so we, we appreciate that for you slumming it with us on a Saturday. All right, guys, carry on. Have a good long weekend. That's Jeff Patterson, TSN 1040 Canucks reporter. We should unpack all of that on the other. Uh, do, you, do you have a manifesto today, or do you want? I was going to be honest. Like, what? What am I supposed to? Rant all right, about? let's unpack all that on the other side. It's like, wide. It's the show I, that I always can do scores. History again. No, let's not do that on TSN 1040.